0: Usually, it's a one to one in the sense of nonprofit telling donor, thank you, this is your impact, not nonprofit bridging and connecting individuals, the monthly donors together.
1: From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive Fundraising Podcast, a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top nonprofits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. On this episode, I'm joined by Dana Snyder. Dana is an entrepreneur, digital strategist, and passionate, conscious consumer. She also founded Positive Equation in 2017 with a focus on helping nonprofits cultivate passionate online audiences, donors, partners, and advocates using social media. Dina is a wealth of knowledge. And during our conversation, we go all the way back to what sparked her on the path to serve others through supporting nonprofits, working in nonprofits, and now advising nonprofits. And really dig into how do you stand out in kind of a complex very busy online world, how can you make your mission stand out, but more importantly, stand separated and connect more deeply with your constituents? This conversation is great for anyone in fundraising or marketing. So let's dive in. So Dana, I know you help organizations, specifically nonprofits today, really work on their social media and digital strategies. But before we dig into those topics, I'm, I'm really curious about the squiggle you've taken to do this work you're doing today, because it's not every day you wake up, you say, hey, I want to help you know organizations mobilize people online for their
0: causes. I love the squiggle. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a great way to bring that up. And I would say um, Sheryl Sandberg has this really great quote about um, careers are like playgrounds. And I would have to say that's exactly what mine has been like, kind of jumping all over the place instead of like a, a ladder, which is the more common thing. Um, are you familiar? And I'm going to go back to my college days, which is kind of where my journey in philanthropy started. But are you familiar with dance marathons?
1: Dance marathons? I am not. I feel out of the loop. Tell me more. Okay,
0: Noah, I'll bring you into the loop. <laughs> so Children's Miracle Network Hospitals in the 90s, launched dance marathons at colleges across the U.S. And essentially what they are, they are student-run dance marathons that fundraise all year round for their local Children's Miracle Network Hospital. So I attended the University of Central Florida in Orlando. Go Knights, for anyone who's listening. Um, And we had a dance marathon at our school called Nightthon. Um, I mean, present day, I think there's more than 300 dance marathons across the country now at different universities that raise millions of dollars every year. It's pretty incredible for the cause. And when I was a freshman, so I was 18 years old, I was on campus at our student union and there was a little, I was just studying. And there was a little girl with her mom who came into a corner in the student union. And there was a An event gathering around them, and I was just overhearing the story. The little girl must have been about two years old, and her mom was sharing how she had already had four heart transplants um, at this age from the local, and they all happened at the local children's hospital, which was Arnold Palmer. And as her story continued immediately. I shifted from studying and was walking over and listening to this story. Um, and so by the end of it, it was, Hey, sign up for Nighton, our dance marathon that supports kids like Emma. This little girl's name was Emma. And I was like, sign me up. I'm in And then I attended my first dance marathon, which essentially is you fundraise all year round, but then one day during the year, usually in the spring for most universities, you get together for 12 or 24, 14 hours. Every school does it differently. And every hour on the hour, you do a morale dance, a pre-choreographed dance by the students. But throughout the event, you're fundraising more you're playing games, there's miracle children coming in, and it's just a day to celebrate. And at the end, everyone finally gets taken knee. You have to stand the entire time. You cannot sit down. At the very end, you get to sit, and then the you get shown how much you fundraised over the course of the entire year. Um, so it's a really amazing program. And so that's how I got started in philanthropy. And then I ended up working for a nonprofit, my first job out of college, uh, which was take stock and children of Sarasota County. And I was in charge of, uh, well, lots of things as we know, cause a lot of us wear multiple hats at a small organization. So we were a team of four. So I was in charge of development and marketing and social media, and this was 10 or 11 years ago. So yeah, back then, obviously, days. yeah, yeah. Social media looked looked very different. Um, yeah, it's changed tremendously. I mean, Instagram was barely even a thing, which obviously now it's this behemoth of a platform. Um, and then from my nonprofit days, then I ended up, I had this vision of always walking down the streets of Manhattan and working for a big PR agency. Cause that's what my degree was in was PR and advertising. So I did that. I moved to New York worked um, for a couple different agencies, which was incredible, working with big brands and sports agents, sports um, companies and leagues. And then about like five years into doing that, I just had this feeling that I was missing working in the nonprofit space and more so working with organizations that had really powerful, positive stories of change. And I laugh about this looking back because I I wrote a journal, kind of, if anybody can relate where you say you're going to write in a journal and then you write in it like once a month. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think I have four of those behind me right now. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I wrote in my journal that I wanted to start my own company uh, in the digital space, helping nonprofits. And then six months later, I read this really good book, called Good is the New Cool um, by Afdel Aziz and Bobby Jones. And it's bright orange on Amazon, so you can't miss it. But it's incredible. And it tells the story of this connection between brands, nonprofits, and influencers or talent or celebrities, and how they have this ecosystem of really working together. And that's, we are now considering those brands that have those elements to be the cool brands. That have some sort of social good aligned with them. And the book just literally like lit my heart on fire. Hmm. And I think it was maybe even the next day after I read the book, I went to my boss and I said, I'm quitting. I'm going to start my own company. And it was kind of like this buildup over six months of just really wanting to do something different. And, And that was the genesis of positive equation and starting my business. And that was four years ago now.
1: Wow. That's incredible. It's a beautiful story. And, um, I have a connection. My older brother graduated from UCF too. So, um, definitely can celebrate that. Um, and just the power of story. Like, I think what, what's so interesting about what you just shared, you shared so many brilliant things, but the thing that sticks out in my head as I'm thinking about responding is the word Emma. And I think like, this is Mm. something I think we need to keep in mind as fundraisers is the power of that single story. You know, we, we just went on a whole navigation. Like you said, we covered the whole playground. We were on the tire swing, the slide, you know, we climbed up the jungle gym. We fell off, we got back up and, you know, we climbed the rope ladder, but the word that resonates with me most from that story is Emma. Like, why is that? Like, can you, (laughs) let's, let's stop. Like, why, why do you think that's what resonated from the story you just shared? And then how do, what, what's the implications of that for nonprofits as they tell their story online or begin to kind of share stories in digital space?
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting. I think when you think about Emma was the fact that that was really the moment that changed my trajectory, right? Like I always wanted to be in this ad PR driven world, but working in that, my journey in Dance Marathon is what led me to where I am now, right? There ha- just like what you said, I've bounced around a lot, but now I've landed back in the place that Emma kind of really started for me, mm-hmm. right? She unlocked something within me that I bounced around, but I came back to it. And what's interesting too, is now I will forever associate like my journey in philanthropy with Children's Miracle Network Hospitals, which is also brilliant, if we Mm -hmm. can talk about that from a story standpoint. And the fact that as an 18-year-old, that organization, um, I will never forget them. So anytime I see them, I will donate in the space. But I think the power of storytelling, to your point, is, I mean, it kind of goes back to, I always reference Joseph Campbell's A Hero's Journey. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of exactly what her mom was sharing, right? We had our main character, who's Emma. Emma. She discussed her conflict of her sickness and then how the revelation happened, which was this hospital can help save my daughter, right? And then going through the transformation to say, and look, here she is standing here today, a healthy young girl. And then to see her dancing at our dance marathon. Um, I think it was powerful storytelling is when you can see yourself in that person's shoes or you can relate to them. And that excites them to join your mission. So although the story is about Emma and for anybody who's listening, your story is about the people you're impacting, but really it's how can that, how can our donors or our supporters or or our advocates identify with kind of the hero that you're presenting and make that be themselves, right? And I think that's what gets to the core of a really good story.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's those like collision moments. Like that's what I'm thinking about your story is that it wasn't just Emma. Like there was a few other characters in the story that you collided with that kind of projected you on this journey of working alongside organizations to almost help them craft and tell their story, their Emma story like through digital spaces online and i think i want that's where i want to transition the conversation because you talk about Emma's story you talk about this physical moment where you're in a space you hear Emma's mom tell this story you physically dance with other people that were you know energized by that and there's kind of a mobilized movement on that now right. you move to the digital space and that physical presence or the feeling is I think harder to kind of create that energy that you can do in a physical space. But how do you advise organizations to bring moments like that or kind of create that type of energy as they tell stories online through digital media, or especially within social? How can someone really create energy within that story um, through the digital channels?
0: Yeah, I think it kind of starts with you have to have a great brand. You have to know who you are. Um, And have a personality along with your brand. So I think this is something that we see done really well in the for-profit space a lot. And there are some amazing nonprofits, don't get me wrong, that do this as well. Um, But if you think about for-profit brands like Casper or Nike or Allbirds or Chick-fil-A even, right? Like you can, you know, when you A, come across some of their branding, their stories, their copy, right? You see this in the nonprofit space. Um, A client that I've worked with for a few years is Movember. And they do an incredible job at this and really having a great brand that A, you trust them. They have credibility. um, And then they have great brand storytelling through telling about men's health and the work that they do. But they are very true to their brand voice and how they come across in their conversation. So I would say that's one step of making sure you're telling a really good story is having a great brand. Um, And then two, really identifying and listening, being an organization that can listen to pull out the great stories. Um, And then on the digital space, it's identifying which platform is the best place to share this story, right? And and sharing it in a way that's meant for that platform. That's where I think people get tricked up sometimes too.
1: Yeah. And you, you said so much there that I almost want to back up for a minute and kind of unpack each element of that. Cause you talked about this idea of having kind of an incredible brand and, or at least just having an intentional brand and being intentional about that. Then you talk about listening and being able to, capture or highlight these stories. And then you talked about kind of the choosing of the platforms or how to distribute, which requires not only understanding your own message and your own ob- objectives, but also what these communities were created for, what these each of these spaces uniquely have to offer. So I, I want to walk through that really quickly, but I want to go back to yeah. brand. You mentioned some of the key elements of brand because people listening to this are in fundraising or development. Some of them might be 20-year veterans, Other others may be, you know, aspirational fundraisers still kind of on their journey through college. But when you say brand, I think the listeners all kind of jump to what they're familiar with. Maybe it's a logo, maybe it's colors, or maybe it's a, you know, guideline or some brand that they're thinking about. What are the three elements that you would say are most important when it comes to what a brand is
0: for a nonprofit? Sure. You nailed one that you just talked about. Visual identity would be the first one. So that is that is your logo, that are, those are your colors, the theme of your organization. So, right, when you, we all know when we see the golden arches, what that stands for, we all know what the swoosh, what that represents. Um, so visual identity, and then you have your brand voice. So this is really important. And I always think about brand voice in terms of if your organization could be a person, who would it be? Do you sound like a mom? Do you sound like a mentor? Do you sound like a best friend? Do you sound like a teacher? Do you sound like a professor? Right? Like, what kind of persona does your organization take on? Um, and then after that, I think so, visual identity, brand voice, and then even breaking it down to language. So, how do you speak? There's kind of language and tone, but how do you speak? How do you write? Um, Movember, in just kind of a tactical sense, they call their supporters Mobros or Mo Sistas, not Mo Sisters, right? Or how they spell mustache is with the M O U for the Mo instead of M U, right? So they have selected specific language and copy that's identified with their brand versus how someone else might reference that language. So I would say those would be my three. And then making sure that's a uniform feeling across all content and branding online and in copy and in print information. Um, And once you have that together, like a brand Bible, oftentimes I call it, then anytime you bring on a new staff member or things switch, you have something that's consistent to use across the board.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. And we could spend hours talking about brand, but I think I just wanted to define it because it's going to be helpful as we move through the rest of the conversation for this. Um, So I really appreciate that kind of quick summary. And then you you mentioned kind of once you have this brand or you have this kind of identity captured and kind of being able to, Um, use it consistently across your organization, your communications. You moved into this idea of listening and to find the stories. Can you unpack or talk a little bit more about what you mean there?
0: Yeah, sure. So I think it's really important, and this is partly why I think it's ideal to have somebody in a full-time social media role in your company. Um, And there's a couple of different people who can do this. But in the social media space, there are tools where you can do social listening about those people who are talking about your cause. So if you set up a hashtag or you're just searching for keywords, you can look up who is speaking about our organization and then have a relationship, have a conversation with those people to better understand what is their journey with your organization, what's their story. Um, oftentimes this is a great role for a program person to play too. So within all of your programs, who are the people you're impacting in your program? And are there people's stories that you can follow along with and ask them to become an ambassador maybe, right? If they've been in your program for a long time. and But it's basically, it's having a strong relationship and vibrant community where you're able to kind of assess and like find these stories to tap into them, to be able to build content and videos or blog posts or anything that you might need to help un- help others understand the impact you're doing through your mission and your work.
1: Yeah, and I think what, what's so interesting is um, I've I've met so many nonprofit fundraisers that are like I hear the power of storytelling, I understand it, I believe it, but I don't. We don't have a story. And I think what you just said is, no, we all have stories. We just have to go find them and kind of think differently maybe about what a story is or how it, um, where the kind of sources of story are within our organization. Any guidance to that person that's like, "I I think we have a story, but I'm having a really hard time like, finding those sources of story in my organization. Is there kind of a quick trick to say, okay, here, follow this path and you'll likely find it? or whether they're guys. Yeah,
0: for? yeah, totally. And I think some of them are, look at your staff for stories, mm. right? Like right there. And then how did they get to you? How did they hear about you? Like that right there is a story. Um, the founder, the founder of the organization, why did it start? Like that's always a story. And if that hasn't been told recently, that absolutely should be. Because some of those are the funniest stories. I mean, Movember, um, Adam, one of the founders talks about like, him and his buddies were just like sitting at a bar having a beer. And they talked about how we should bring the mustache back. And then it started as like, you know what I mean? It's it's those stories that turn into something big. I mean, uh, Scott Harrison's with Charity Water is an epic one we always go back to. And his actually really follows, uh, which I mentioned a little bit ago, but a hero's journey. So I guess I'm a very visual learner and like Step by step things. So, (laughs) for anybody that can relate to that, the hero's journey that Joseph Campbell talks about is step one, identify your main character and their trigger. So, you can do this with anything. Um, Number two, step two is you're addressing the conflict. Step three, there's some sort of revelation or change. And then step four is the transformation that happens. And you can rinse and repeat that a million times. Um, But really, that's what storytelling, that's the powerful thing about storytelling. That's what we all cheer for, right? Is we cheer for somebody to come out of something um, successful. I would say I always learn the best when you find yourself pausing on a video that comes across your social feed and really think about why. Why did I just stop on this? And I remember a brilliant example of this kind of hero's journey is Save the Children did a video. This was a few years ago now. Um, if, you want to, if anybody wants to look it up on YouTube. And I think it was called oh a One Second a Day. Do you remember what I'm talking about, Noah?
1: No, I don't think I'm familiar with it.
0: Um, I'm literally on my computer and I'm going to look it up. Save the Children. And it's the story of a little girl one second a day, and she's going through the war that's happening in her local community and how it starts on her birthday. Mm. So it literally starts her birthday. Everything is great, happy, she's blowing candles out. And then a year later, she's at a refugee camp and what her birthday looks like a year later mm. at this camp. And it was, but it's one second of her experience over that year. And it's beautifully done, but it's literally, she's our main character, They're talking about the conflict of what you can see things happening around her and what's happening with the war, the revelation that she's no longer going to be having the same life she did, and then kind of this transformation to what's happening and what you can do as a viewer to help. Um, So there's a bazillion different ways of what it could visually look like, but those are kind of the four key steps through a hero's journey story. And the best research, again, that I can give to people is watch yourself when you pause, right? To look at something and ask yourself, why? Why did I just stop? What made this interesting to me?
1: Yeah, and I, I would encourage uh, individuals to even think about your story, Dana, um, where you're talking about your squiggle. It's like, what stood out to you um, as you're listening to that story as a listener? Um, for me, it was Emma, but for someone else, it might be, you know, walking into your boss's office and saying, hey, I'm quitting to starting something new. Or it could be the moment on the subway where you're kind of defining, you know, what the future is for what you're trying to accomplish and writing that down. Or, you know, other moments throughout the story. You know, it's
0: interesting. I love that you, because I don't think I said subway, but I literally wrote and figured out the name positive equation while writing in the subway. So Mm it's funny that your mind went there. And that's exactly actually where it kind of evolved. But you picture, I say, New York City, and that's where your mind goes. So it's really interesting, right? Like you continue kind of the story of playing that movie in your head. And we're just, there's nothing visual here. We're just telling it through words, right? And that's really powerful as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. And there's so much like uh, encapsulated in any type of, you know, you mentioned, I went to university, then you say, I went to university in Florida and like, I could begin to tell that story without you continuing it. Right. Or New York city, as you mentioned. And so even the, the kind of the anchors we use in stories can be really helpful to communicate, you know, what you're talking about, um, or to help kind of Absolutely. Uh, capture that story. And like you mentioned, we're just on audio right now. And so we're talking about how do you translate your stories in that feeling of, the impact of a story through digital mediums. And you can do it through words or voice or visuals. And I think that's a great thing to keep in mind. The one thing I wanted to get, jump back to really quickly is you talked about the kind of this archetype of where to find stories. The one shortcut that has been helpful for me when I've been advising individuals on this too is to ask if your organization didn't exist tomorrow, who, mm. who would care? Like what are the people that would care? Like write them down. And I think what's interesting is that kind of is also I've always found that as a shortcut to find the stories as well, because the people that are most impacted by if your organization stopped doing what they were doing, including staff, including the beneficiaries you serve or the other stakeholders you're partnering with, they seem to be kind of core sources of story. So if that's helpful, that's another shortcut I've found um, really helpful as a question.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I
1: love that. So the third part of what we were talking about earlier is we talked about brand. We talked about kind of like, how do you identify your story? How do you tell it in a kind of a, a, a way that your brand can only do? The third thing you mentioned, which we'll kind of camp on for the rest of the conversation is now choosing the platforms or understanding how to tell that story or those stories through the various digital mediums one thing about digital and social is that feels like it's always changing it's always new like it's hard to keep up with and you know i'm going to mention two things like clubhouse and i guarantee some people on this call are like i don't even know what that is but i'm sure it's something i don't understand um but i think this is where people get caught up so brand we got it we got our stories now how do we translate it how do we choose what spaces online to communicate and how to communicate that story what's 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 your advice for navigating that stage of this process?
0: Yeah. And I mean, you're totally right. It does change all the time. (laughs) I mean, when you look back, right, um, Clubhouse just popped onto the scene recently. And for those of you that don't know, it's an audio-based app. So there's no video or photos or media content. It's strictly people jumping on and having just audio conversations um, with one another and you can drop in and out of these rooms that are based on topics. Um, So you can hear from all sorts of interesting people that are on there. Um, But overall, it's where my kind of answer to you is you want to be where your audience is. And if they're not there, then you don't need to be there. I say this all the time there. There's this idea that we have to be on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and YouTube and Twitch and clubhouse and snapchat and tiktok and everywhere and that's not true you're just going to drive yourself crazy <laughs> um i always say think about a who are you serving b who would you like to reach as your supporters and where are they right and focus just there and then understand how do those individuals use that platform right so An example might be Facebook is brilliant for fundraising, right? When the Ice Bucket Challenge happened, before the Ice Bucket Challenge happened for raising funds for ALS, Facebook did not have any fundraising tools. It was because of that challenge that erupted of sharing of video content that they decided to build those tools. So they are the behemoths when it comes to helping nonprofits raise funds. This is an old stat, but they've helped... Raise more than $2 billion for charity. And that's, I think, 2019 stat. So it's dated. Um, So they're brilliant for fundraising and they're great for video content. They love pushing live stream videos. And the third thing they're great at is communities with their Facebook groups. And anytime a digital channel, if you see them advertising one of their features, so recently... I think it was the last Super Bowl, Facebook was doing a whole push on Facebook groups. For Facebook Lives, they took over Times Square and were running ads. So anytime they are spending a lot of resources on certain new features that they're releasing, you should really focus your attention on pursuing those new features and testing them out. Um, so I'd say, A, you wanna be where your audience is and then you wanna look at those platforms and understand what are the new things that they're testing? They're bringing out in the Instagram space right now. It's Instagram reels are extremely popular and they now have the ability for you to do an Instagram live with four people at one time. So if you're testing out those features, they're more likely to push your content to the forefront because they want people to start using those features. Um, Essentially, The beautiful thing, and I think we've seen this through the pandemic, that obviously there's negatives to social media too. I totally get that. The positive side is that we are more connected and can build these communities with like-minded people and individuals and share these beautiful stories that I remember, right? And you might've seen it too, when the pandemic first happened, when everybody started um, playing music out on the balconies, all over the world. And then New York City had people clapping um, at like 7 PM or whatever it was for um, our first responders and our health workers. And that was shared through social so that we could all feel a part of that. And I think that's the beautiful thing. It's just understanding where does this story fit and how are we going to produce it in a way that fits this digital channel the best.
1: Yeah. And I think like it's it's so interesting how I think like the complexity of social or digital can kind of result in, in like an opt-out mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. just because it's you know it's too complicated, it's always changing. It's like it's not relevant for us right now because maybe our donors or we perceive our donors or our supporters may not be leveraging these platforms in the way they are. And so we're just like we're gonna take a back seat. But I think the broader st- Thing I would challenge those that are on that fence or even just kind of struggling with this is that social and digital are actually just tools and spaces where you can amplify your stories that reinforce your brand, which represents your mission. And so if we think about this kind of three-step thing where we have, you know, we, your brand is encapsulating your mission or your story, you're communicating that through a series of stories, whether it's know audio or copy or uh, video or creative whatever it is and then you're pushing those out and amplifying them into these spaces where your supporters are and so really social is not some you know new thing or all of that there's new spaces and people are using them differently but they're just spaces where your supporters are and you're using these platforms to connect your supporters back to your core story or your mission and uh, I think what's helpful for me when I think about it that way is, is that it helps change the, the kind of notion of what's required and that we see this as these are just spaces, just like when we have physical events or we send mail or we do phone drives or we do all of things, these are all spaces Mm -hmm. that we can connect our supporters back to our story. It just requires us to understand the kind of context of the space so that we can best communicate and participate within that space.
0: And what's happening too now that's been really interesting with social media. And especially as, I mean, I'm a millennial and Gen Z is coming up. And if you look at all the recent events that have been happening in the world, we're utilizing social media as our news channels. This is where we go to seek information. So when, when I am told about a new show, or I am told about a new product from a friend or a family member the first thing, and no, I'd like to ask you too, the first thing I do is either A, I am going on Instagram to look them up, to learn more, or I'll search for their website mm-hmm. on my phone, right? So making sure that you and I consider a website as a digital channel too. Mm-hmm. If your website is not designed to be mobile optimized and easily accessible to find what your impact is and how to donate and how to get involved, then that's something you really want to make sure you're looking at. Because I look at, just like you said, a tool, I look at digital channels as they are part of your systems and processes. And having a really strong tech infrastructure, and I think we've seen that as being really Prevalent and important this past year with online giving increasing, um, and us being socially distant and not being able to be in person with each other, is the younger generations don't even think about the fact that you might not have the budgets that are similar to a for-profit brand, but they're going to expect the same experience online as what it is for a for-profit brand or what it is to be on Facebook, right? Like. It's really important to think about how to evolve and elevate your digital channels because they are essentially, and I say this all the time, but they are your storefronts. They are the first thing that people are going to identify your organization as based upon what they're seeing in the online digital space before they meet you in person as a volunteer or before they travel. I might not even, there's organizations that I support that I've never physically been a part of, but I have fallen in love with a video or a story that they've shared on social that I feel inclined enough to become a monthly donor.
1: Yeah. And how, how I've seen it to kind of put it a different way, if it's helpful for those listening is that like, in some ways, like all of these spaces are opportunities for you to create like outposts, you know, if, if you're, if your core yeah. website or, you know your core kind of center is like the hub. You have the opportunity now, which I think is 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 the positive side of this with digital, is to actually go out and extend where you create these outposts. And some might be larger or others might just be signs pointing people back to your mission or reminding them of your mission. But others might be you know start to become small like mini hubs, but still supporting that primary kind of hub of your of your mission, of your story, of your owned assets but the digital spaces provide these outpost opportunities and you'll kind of invest and uh, evolve those outposts as your supporters in your community or really the movement around your your mission like navigates um, through those spaces. And so being present is essential. It's just, what does that look like and how do you do that? Well, requires you to understand the context of that space.
0: Yeah, and the goal really of social is you want to create the places for people to have a conversation around your mission that they are, therefore they are telling your story on your behalf Mm. in the simplest form. That's what social creates the power to do is extend. And like you said earlier, amplify your story and let your story kind of become theirs in a way, right, they take on, I now have a story about Children's Miracle Network hospitals, right? I have a story about Movember. Um, my dad ended up getting diagnosed with prostate cancer right as I was actually working with Movember. And so what well, that's one of their areas within their cause is they have prostate cancer, they work with testicular cancer and mental health and suicide prevention. And as soon as that hit home for me, it completely changed the story and how I think about, Movember, right, and the programs that they provide. So that's essentially what I think it provides is a community of like-minded people who are all facilitated around a common goal or mission, and amplifying the beauty of what your story is.
1: And I think what's what's so beautiful about like the generosity community, the generosity ecosystem, is we talked about this like three-step process where you have your you have your mission. You kind of encapsulate that in what we call a brand. We identify stories within our own spaces. And then we push those stories out. And what you just said was amazing is that as people are connected through these channels or other channels, and they come back and they hear the stories and the brand, now they actually get to be a part of that that step too, where we talked about how do you find the stories? And if, we, if you do this process right, right. and have kind to of think intentionally about this you now are creating people coming back to your brand understanding your understanding the mission and creating their own stories which help you amplify the brand again and bring in more advocates and so this kind of it looks like a linear process that goes out and brings people back but it's it's not it's this kind of evolving nature of of what's possible when we engage and share in in a way that's shareable I I think that I I always talked about like you have to design stories in a way that they're they're intended to be shared and being absolutely as you go out into these spaces give you know you Dana the opportunity to make it your own but it still at the core has it because I think there's also a, a camp that's like well, we don't want our supporters to tell our story. Like we don't want them to change our story or how do we control the message? And it's like, no, like there's still at the heart of your story in both those cases for Children Miracle and Movember, the heart of the mission. You've just kind of layered your story on top of that which enables you to go carry it out uh, to the world or to your world um, which is expanded as well as we enter into digital spaces because we all have expanded worlds that we have influence over.
0: Right. Exactly. No, it's beautiful. I love that. And something that's been interesting that's been coming up. I just spoke with the CEO of Coach Art. Um, They're an amazing organization uh, based in Los Angeles, but now doing work all over the country. They were talking about, there's been a lot of conversation with recurring giving in providing impact stats back, right? Like keeping your community, your monthly donors updated on what's happening in your organization And he's taken a really interesting approach that we were talking about. He's like, well, are there a lot of organizations bringing the community of monthly donors together? And I was like, that's really interesting. I was like, outside of something like a peer-to-peer giving, um, like a Dressember or Movember, where you see everybody either wearing a dress or growing a mustache, and that's a community. But I was like, usually it's a... One-to-one in the sense of nonprofit telling donor, thank you, this is your impact. Not nonprofit bridging and connecting individuals, the monthly donors together to build more of a community. I was like, that's a very interesting concept. And I would love to see, like talking about putting events together for the monthly donors that isn't just a presentation about what our impact is, but something more Interactive in that, and that's also building right a more dedicated community of storytellers on the behalf of your brand.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think there's a growing um, shift happening where organizations are having to realize that the organization isn't the purpose; the organization is the platform in which supporters mm-hmm. can engage with the stories. We, in our research, we found. Uh, around why donors continue to give a, a really simple statement that involves three C's. One is that donors continue to give to causes or to organizations that they feel connected with and have confidence in to work on the cause that they, the donor care about. And what's interesting about that is that it's not because of the organization, but it's because of how the organization has connected with them, built confidence And is working effectively on a cause that they, the donor, care about. And so you move yourself from being an organization that's the organization's the purpose to the organization's the platform to facilitate these connections, which is going to advance your cause forward. And more organizations that think like that, I think, are seeing growth as we head in, you know, push through 2021, but even as we continue to grow from here.
0: Yes. That's so good. I love that. News story is another great example Mm, of an organization doing just that. They they launched a brilliant campaign for anybody who's interested to look it up where they created their monthly donor program and they called it The Neighborhood. And I loved that they called that because their goal as an organization is to end homelessness. And so the goal of the monthly campaign was to be able to provide housing for people in need. And so they called their campaign the neighborhood and even their virtual event uh, this year was called come join us for the house party. Like everything was branded so beautifully, but to your point, they are providing the platform that's serving a mission, but allowing people to kind of create their own stories there. I I love that. That's great.
1: Absolutely. Well, Dana, we could talk for another hour or two. We'll have to have you come back and keep us updated on kind of how we can engage within these spaces that we have available to us and really maximize them to move our mission forward. Thank you so much for your time, Dana. If people want to learn more or follow along with the work that you're doing, where would you recommend they connect with you in these spaces?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Noah. And next time we talk, there might even be a new social media platform that we didn't Uh. know about today.
1: (laughs) There will Maybe be. let's say That's we. That's actually not a question. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, there will be. <laughs> um, people can find me um, at Positive Equation, pretty much. I focus on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for the most part. Um, and then online, positiveequation.com/mastermind. I have a new exciting program, really based on what we're talking about today, called Missions to Movements. So, how do you really cut out the noise? streamline your processes and raise millions through online giving. So very intimate, small community of nonprofit leaders, and they will be getting to invite a digital team member to join them. So it's a really unique program that I'm excited to really kind of break down all of these things that we've been talking about today through the mastermind.
1: Yeah. It sounds like an incredible opportunity, not only to learn, but to collide with others that are kind of following or kind of, I guess, heading out on this path of how do you create community? within these spaces. Dana, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for your time.
0: Thanks, Noah. Appreciate it.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you want to dig further into responsive fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack just for listeners of this podcast. If you go to virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the responsive fundraising blueprint, which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. you also get the responsive fundraising playbook, which includes 20 plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is gonna be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit, and it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com/slash podcast.